Hey, welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. My name is Aaron, and with me as always is Dave and Fredo, but I say as always, but it's been a while. We've we've taken a couple weeks off, so how's everybody doing? Doing all right. Okay, you know, um, this wasn't really on the agenda, but I thought I would just go ahead and share why. Um, we haven't been on for a while. My, my wife's fighting. Yeah, my wife's fighting uh, breast cancer. Um, and the reason I decided I thought I should share that um, is that we've been talking a lot about uh, early detection. Um, going through this process, talking to the doctors, one of the things that we found out through them has been that a lot of people are coming in with stage four and beyond. Matanki. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a bad situation out there right now because a lot of people haven't been getting screened because of COVID-19. Um, so people put off their health visits, they put off their screenings and they haven't been getting screened. So one of the things that my wife and I, um, have been thinking about a lot with that is spreading that message to people and just letting people know like, Hey, you should probably go out and get screened. And um, then just so you know, my wife was very lucky. We caught it early uh, in her case. Uh, we had a successful surgery. Um, I think everything, knock on wood, is going to be fine in our situation. Um, but again, I, the doctors are telling us that people are coming in in very advanced stages right now. And that's just a really common story. So if, you, if you've been putting off visiting your doctor, you've been putting off, uh, getting a screening of some kind, it might be time for you to think about doing that. And uh, I'll I'll just piggyback on that right quick because my normal nine to five is working uh, under a hematology oncology department, and I can totally support what Dave just said regarding. Uh, unfortunately, the number of people coming in who, due to COVID and a lot of the lockdowns and uh, restrictions that were put in last year to prevent gatherings that a lot of people missed out on a lot of early detection appointments a lot of regular appointments so and i think i think if this might and this might be a totally ignorant comment wouldn't be the first time me saying an ignorant comment on uh this podcast but or, or anytime but it seems to me that when the people's default when they hear the word early detection they think women and they think breast cancer and it's it's, it's men as well and men are more have the tendency to say you know oh yeah i don't feel all that good but you know i don't need to go to the doctor i don't need to go to the it's, doctor i mean we had a friend who went to the doctor and it was a blood test that showed and he had you know colon cancer for i mean it had been going for a couple of years had no idea you know so um yeah those uh yeah, so go go to your doctor if you are, you know, if, if you can't. If you miss your appointment sometime in the past, call them, make your appointment, keep it up, go back, get back into your rhythm. Because a lot, a lot of people really have, not, I'm not going to say fallen off, but it's been the reality of the last year, unless it was something, you know, drastic that didn't want you in a hospital setting. Get back in there, get back seeing your doctor, get back in your routine, not just for oncology cancer but for whatever condition you need it's it's surprising how many people unfortunately and it's the nature of people you know unless it's a, a three alarm fire we don't pay attention to it well you know yeah. and it was it was nuts that you know my dad went to the dentist 
Um, and the, the dental hygienist like started freaking out over something that she saw on the roof of his mouth that he didn't, he didn't feel anything. Didn't, I mean, she started freaking out and said, you need to go to an oral surgeon today. And he, you know, scaring this you know guy in his seventies, you know, and he goes to the oral surgeon. They're like, yeah, you have lymphoma. And a dental hygienist is the one that picked up on that. So, um, but the, the nuts, the thing that was nuts, again, they, they caught something early enough. They actually got to treat my dad with, they treated him with acne medication and um, arthritis medication. So that, I mean, that's from, I've, I've talked to cancer survivors and they, you know, they said, you know, cancer treatment today is not like when the, you know, four, you know, the three of us were growing up, you know, it's, there's so much more they know and can do. Um, so, but yeah, sorry, Dave did to, to step on your, you didn't at all. No, yes, that's exactly the point. I think it's just, you know, th- uh, the medical field has progressed a lot. There's a lot that people can do nowadays. Um, and I think if you've been putting things off, it's time to think about going in. I, I know the Delta variant is starting to spike and people are nervous about that, but like, hospitals and the medical profession and Fredo could probably speak to this. They're better equipped now a year later to deal with this stuff. They have precautions in place. They know what they're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like when I couldn't set foot in a hospital without wearing a mask period. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's no reason at that point not to go because everybody's doing what they should be. And, uh, I think, uh, Kate's attitude also, it goes, uh, several miles down the road at, you know, battling this as well. She's got, you know, she's got a fantastic attitude. I mean, she's, I mean, I know it's tough, but, and she's very, she, you know, she's, she's very vulnerable on, on Twitter and very honest the way she's feeling, but she's 99%, um, you know, an ass kicker. So, and that, that really, you know, that matters. I've seen my grandmother go through that. My dad go through that, you know, it's uh, attitude makes everything. So I agree with that. And uh, again, awareness too. It's just like, you can't fight it if you don't know that it's there. Um, you know, and they caught it at a routine pap and it was a really good thing that she went in and, uh, yeah. So find it, fight it. Cancer can go die in a fire. Yes. Um, I would, I would, I would agree with that. Um, cool. Well, uh, so yeah, and we were talking with her before the show. So like I said, very good, very good spirits and yeah. So that's awesome. Um, so yeah, that, that's been going on. Um, I don't know what, what the heck else has been going on. Life has just hit us hard the last, you know, about a month. So, um, I, I do want to make a little bit of a plug on a different shift the pendulum all the pendulum all the way over to the other side. Um, I actually have something exciting going on tomorrow. I have my first solo gig, like ever. Um, so the I you know I play Irish music. We play our our a session at Silk Road in the Marini. It, it's kind of funny. Yeah, we play Irish music in a Indian fusion restaurant. Hey, whatever it's new Orleans anyway. Um, so it's, we do that every other Wednesday. Well, Ganesh, the owner asked me, um, if I would sing and play Irish music, um, on the off Wednesdays. So 
tomorrow from seven to nine, or if you're listening to this, whenever we get it up, it's Wednesday from seven to nine, I'll be singing and playing Irish music in the back room of Silk Road. So they got good food. They got good beer. Um, and probably mediocre Irish music tomorrow. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, like I said, a little nerve wracking because it's, uh, you know, I, it's, I never been there just all by myself. So, so you're flying solo. That's what you're saying. Um, solo. What happened in my Falcon Wookie at my side and oh, yeah, whatever it was. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm solo. I'm Han Solo. I'm Han. That's gonna be uh, my theme music. It goes here. It goes here. That's gonna be my theme music when I, you know, take the stage. So anyway, yeah, <clears throat> every other Wednesday. So I guess Wednesdays will be Irish music Wednesdays at Silk Road. So there you go. Um, cool. And uh, I and. You know, it was funny because I went to uh, the tweet up that was uh, this Saturday and had somebody, it was Eddie, he asked me, he said, uh, so what's the, what's on the next podcast? I mean, it was, he was being very nice of like saying, where the heck's the podcast been for the last couple of days, you know, last couple of weeks. So he was very excited to uh, hear that we're going to be recording again. So here we are. Um, so yeah, so tonight is going to be kind of uh, the three of us talking about all the stuff we've missed. Um, so, um, yeah, it's going to be all sorts of things from Marvel to star Wars. Um, so, but first we shall start with, as always trivia and I can't find my old man glasses. So this should be interesting. Um, but, uh, let's start with, uh, Fredo because my eyes are focused on this one. What Jedi gets valuable intelligence from the pallid, uh, Tian Mendon with about General Grievous's activities. I mispronounced his name. What Jedi gets valuable intelligence from the pallid Tian Mendon about General Grievous's activities? Should I give it a minute? I think we're good. I'm going to go with Obi-Wan Kenobi. It is Obi-Wan Kenobi. I remember everybody, yeah. that was one of those things when episode three came out, everybody was like, was Richard Spence? Is that, that was the actor, right? Richard yeah. Spence is in episode three. He's in episode three and they show, there he is in the trailer. And he has like 10 seconds of screen mm-hmm. time. Anyway. Yeah. That was uh, one of the, uh, the casualties to the uh, movie being so uh, jam packed. Um, really enjoyed his character though, for the limited time that he got. Mm-hmm. Uh, teeth creep me out. All right. That was cool. Ooh, this might be controversial, Dave. How Is many... it about the uh, weapons that are powered by Kyber? Crystals? No, it's it, but it's, it's another controversial topic, though. How many blaster bolts does Greedo fire at Han Solo? Oh, no. I think there can be two answers to this. Okay, well, I'm going with one that's the answer that's on the card okay but if we went to the original cut does greedo get a shot off i don't think he gets a shot off in the original ones we saw in 77 up until the special edition it was just han solo shooting him because that was just like it was in cold blood you know yeah that was the whole point that he shot first that 
He didn't let him get a chance to get a shot off. So I would have. I, I will. I will concede that. Like that's probably the accurate answer for for us and for our listeners. Like it. It, it should be zero, right? It should be zero. I would have accepted zero. I, I you know, but I, I understand this is the, you know, this was post special edition, obviously. So yeah, Greedo got one shot off. Okay. By the way, uh, before you go, I'll correct you right quick. It's Bruce Spence, not Richard Spence. Who is Richard Spence? I have no idea. Uh, but it's I, Bruce Spence is the name of the actor. Bruce Spence. I knew the last name. Okay, Richard. Richard yeah. must be his uncle. Um. All right, because my rule is to go with the first one I see. What color uh, are the dinner drinks served by Aunt Beru? Yeah, blue. So there we go. Some trivia. One one controversial question. Quick question, Dave. When you went to uh, uh, Batu, did you try the blue milk? Yeah, oh, yeah. Why would you try the yellow milk first? I'm why? <laughs> There's no yellow milk. No, it's green. It's green. Okay, I'm about to yeah. Say. Yeah. Well, however, I will say it was uh, one of the it was one of the May the Fourths. Uh, Finn McCool's had blue milk, and it was they made they just made some cocktail that looked exactly like it. It tasted awesome. I mean, I think it's blue curacao and mixed with other stuff. It just it was it was awesome. So. Um, but yeah, why would you why would you get the green milk when you went first? You, that's weird. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. It, uh, so it was kind of like um, I think we went over this back when when I originally went, but it's like it's kind of almost like a smoothie, but like a melted smoothie sort of a texture. So like you know a little bit thicker than just like water or milk. A little bit thicker and fruity and, you know, nice. It wasn't bad at all. Okay. Yeah. It's a good experience. Yeah. All right. Was... By the way, I got I to gotta tell you guys, I um, I, I, didn't, I put, didn't put this in our Twitter chat. I actually started reading um, some of the High Republic comic, one of the High Republic comics, uh, the Kevin Scott um, uh, series. They've got a couple of them on my Marvel app now. So, mm-hmm. and... I have never been so sold on a character in a comic book within the first like three pages as I am in this one. Mm. That's what I will say. Um, the, um, um, just it's this, this, uh, Jedi Padawan who then becomes a Jedi Knight is just a wonderfully written character. So, and that's in a comic book. You know, usually I can just thumb through a comic book and go, man, eh, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, so yeah, started reading them. So yeah, not too bad. All right. So, um, Fredo, this is going to be, this is going to be the Fredo show for the most part. <laughs> no, I'll try to place by them. Um, some of the stuff that's going to be interesting, some of it less so. But we'll start with the big news from today. The uh, 2021 Emmy nominations were announced today. And Disney Plus's The Mandalorian tied for the lead with 24 nominations overall. So in terms of shows getting nominations, it was Mandalorian and Netflix's The Crown tied for 24 nominations. Uh, It includes stuff like Best Drama Series, uh, 
Best Supporting Actor for Giancarlo Esposito. Best Guest Actor in a Drama Series, which includes both Timothy Oliphant and Carl Weathers, which I'm surprised at putting him as a guest. Uh, outstanding Production Design, Outstanding Music, Casting. So it's a whole list of... Uh, some of them are episode-specific, so like editing or effects uh, for some of the episodes, like The Jedi or whatever. And then some are more like stunt stunt development or whatever. So, uh, yeah, it's amazing that in just one year it went from, oh, it's a new show, wonder what it is, to boom. Now it's like, no, it's one of the hallmarks and it's getting all these nominations and awards. So, all right, I want you guys to uh, take your beer goggles off for a second. I'm just going to ask a controversial question. Is it really worth 24 Emmy nominations? I mean, I love The Mandalorian, don't get me wrong, but it's not like, I mean, from a spe it's like what we've talked about, you know, from a special effects standpoint, I mean, Star Wars always blows you away. This especially blew me away. But, you know, I, I don't know. You know, when I hear Giancarlo Esposito, yeah, he's a, he's a great actor, but, I mean, I didn't think we got enough of Moff Gideon to really, I, I mean, I didn't see a what I would consider an Emmy you know, worthy performance, but well, I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think? Am I, and it's mean, mainly me just asking a controversial question to make people yell at the radio right now. But anyway, go ahead. I'll sound like a gusher when it comes to this show. Um, just because I don't watch a lot of television because I lose interest. So I watch a TV show and it's like, okay, I've watched two episodes and I'm like, I'm done. And then it just, and I check out. Um, and I've never once felt this way about the Mandalorian, even if I disagree with some of the creative decisions that they've made. So, so one of the things, I mean, actually I was talking to one of my students about this, um, this weekend. And it's what I talked with teachers all the time is the difference between value and liking. Mm -hmm. And I think it's tough when we're such star Wars fans that we really, really like star Wars and it should, because we really like it. It's like, you know, our kid should get the lead role in the play because they're our kid. You know what I mean? But does it have that value that makes it, you know, if, if like I said, that's why I said, take the beer goggles off. Um, but you, you obviously think that even if, even if you hated star Wars, this would be Emmy. I think Emmy so. Uh, I mean, like, again, it's kind of impossible to take the goggles off, so to speak, because you, you know, like the reason that I'm wa the reason I'm watching this in the first place is because of the Star Wars hook, right? Right. Um, and but like, I don't think that would have been enough to keep me watching. Um, I, I think if it had been, if it was battle lot, battle for Endor, you would have been done. Yeah. yeah, I mean, let's let's call it what it is. If it were battle for Endor, I probably would have bounced by now. So I, you know, I think there's an inherent quality. There's like a there's a bar that they've hit, right? Um, and then secondly, to answer your question like more thoroughly, it would take like sitting down and looking at each category and having a firm grasp of what the industry has offered in each category to really give you a good answer. So it's like, I don't so, know. <clears throat> so let me do that, Dave. Let me do yeah. it. Real quick. I'll just I'll just mention real quick. So it's nominated for best drama series, along with we already mentioned The Crown, The Boys which is the superhero TV show from Amazon Prime, Bridgerton, 
which was the costume drama book adaptation, The Handmaid's Tale, Lovecraft Country, This Is Us, and Pose. By the way, are so, any of these any of these shows on like network TV or are they all streaming services? Uh, this Is Us is on NBC. That's that's the show that everybody watches since of crime. If you, yeah, if you it's the cry show. <laughs> and Pose is on FX. That's the show that was the oh, what's his name? Now I'm drawing a blank. Uh it's about gender fluidity and some other issues related to that. So, but by and large, I mean, anyway, and then Lovecraft Country, which is on HBO, which is again premium channel. But you know, you have two Netflix shows, one Disney Plus, one Hulu, one Amazon Prime. So, yeah, Netflix, uh, streaming is here and they're recognizing it. But I guess also to your, to your question, uh, Aaron, I would say. I would still consider it good enough to be on this list. And part of it is, look, with the Emmys, much like the Oscars for movies, it takes a while for them to turn and start accepting genres. You know, for the longest time, stuff like Game of Thrones wouldn't have been accepted or recognized because be like, no, no, we got to recognize serious, hardcore, real-life drama. And then they just couldn't deny the quality of Game of Thrones. And then, weirdly enough, they're giving it awards for seasons that even their biggest fans like me would have been like you know you're now it's riding on its coattails it's riding on its legacy so i guess part the good thing about it is they're recognizing the mandalorian before we get to season seven and they're forgetting you know they're cutting stuff and making it all goofy and maybe and you know like i said i asked that question just so we could like it just to be Mm -hmm. kind of a butt however you know, I think there's also the, you know, how often has Star Wars been shafted in the Academy Awards and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you get all these nominations. It's like, all right, who paid off who? You know, you become skeptical of it. I mean, but it, I mean, it is an awesome show. I mean, like I said, from a technical standpoint, it's incredible. Um, like I said, I haven't seen really any, you know, acting performances that have made me go, oh, you know, woo, you know. But, Which brings up a point. I mean, we saw Giancarlo Esposito and then Carl Weathers and Timothy Oliphant. Especially Carl Rutgers. Weathers. I'm sorry. I, really. I'm. Well, but my, again, my bigger point was the name that wasn't on that list was Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Which, I'm like, which was kind of, you know, when we were talking about before season two last season was a bone, alleged bone of contention regarding Pedro and yeah. the producers. The fact that oh, yeah. it's all the stunt guy and his voice and only he takes out of his helmet only twice during the season, that kind of thing. So you know how much that, you know, would, that how, would be the, that would be the most interesting if how, they were to do that because that that might be a bridge too far for them. But yeah, based on that's what I, that that's what I was, I was going to say because then that opens up to like anybody who does a voiceover, which you could argue that some of the best acting is if you can you know get this just portrayed through your voice, um, but you know. Yeah. So I you want to know? know <laughs> that just made me think of uh, v- Vigo the Carpathian. <laughs> Man, <laughs> a Ghostbusters <laughs> two that reference guy, here. That guy's voice was dubbed over in post. They went with a different voice actor. So did, you know, did there David Prowston? Did David Prowston? Uh, I'd have to look it up. I, uh, yeah, I don't like know. the James Earl Jones thing with Vader. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I was. Wow. The, yeah, it was the it was the Darth Vadering of uh, Vigo the Carpathian. But uh, there you go. There's your factoid for the night. But um, you know, I was gonna ask you guys: Have you gone back and you watched the show anytime recently? 
I've watched a couple episodes. Yeah, I've, mm-hmm. I I watched um, the final episode of season two, and I watched uh, the Jedi, the one with Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I haven't gone, but I haven't gone back and watched the season. I watch. I'll go on YouTube every now and then. I watch some people's reactions to it because it's always funny to see people geeking out. Like when yeah. that episode of the Jedi happens, and we see Luke, and everybody just loses their mind. It's it's always fun to see that people have the same reaction we're having. I've gone back and watched a few recently, and the Marshall holds up for me. Like I love that one still. I that might still be my favorite. Um, and so for just for that reason alone, Timothy Oliphant, you know, getting the nod. I'm like, okay, cool, uh, because I just really like that episode a whole lot. But um, the Ahsoka episode uh, held up really well and like improved for me when I rewatched it. Um, I think at first it was just a little jarring because I, maybe because of the transition from animation. Um, but I would recommend people go back and watch that one. If it, if it, you know, if you didn't quite, it didn't quite work for you, but the first time, or if you didn't enjoy it as much because like just the anime, the, um, the anime, the Japanese influences, I mean, they're believe it's pronounced anime, anime, anime. Uh, we're going to get to that later. Uh, but it's just like dripping all over that, that episode. It's really, really good. It's yeah. not like so such a what... snob there. It's pronounced anime. You're such an otaku, Aaron. Anyway, uh, I'll just mention right quick before we get to the anime uh, that The Mandalorian wasn't the only show nominated for Emmys related to Star Wars. Uh, the Clone Wars got nominated for three daytime Emmys including Outstanding Music Direction and Composition, uh, Outstanding Sound Mixing and Sound Editing, and Outstanding Writing Team for a Daytime Animated Program. I will tell you, I have gone back and watched the last season of uh, The Clone Wars, and especially those last three episodes, the music is incredible. Um, It is so well done. and especially when you put, I mean, when you're watching on TV, you don't really catch it all that much, but when you put your earbuds in, you know, and you can really just hear what's in the background and the things that they're doing, um, God, so well done. So that, that, that should win for that. And, yeah, and that's because sound, my kid is, you know, the, you know, the lead, I don't know, but so. Well, no, I was going to say the sound mixing, particularly in those epi- battle episodes in the last three, when you have the noise cut out and you get the music in the background. And you're getting all these elements kind of split up and then brought back together. So, yeah, well done. Well done. So I, I can imagine it's going to have a, I mean, I could, you know, it's, it's in competition, but it should be, have a good chance of winning it. And by the way, I also, like I said, watching the, it's funny though, when I went and watched the last season, I didn't watch the entire last season because I skipped over the entire Ahsoka walkabout um, mm-hmm. arc that one was just like, eh, I didn't, I, it wasn't that I didn't like it. It's just, I didn't need to see it again. I watched the bad batch one because I wanted to see how I would react to it now after having watched the bad batch for a while. Um, and then of course I just love the, the last couple arcs, the, the siege of Mandalore. And then, you know, the post, uh, you know, order 66 stuff. So, um, anyway, I just found that interesting. So, um, so let's go to the anime anime. Anime. Uh, so yes, uh, we got a trailer for Star Wars Visions, which is the Disney Plus anime anime 
anthology series. Anime is somebody is in Nebraska. Anime is the Japanese art. Yeah, which is uh, coming to Disney Plus September 22nd. And uh, there was a trailer that was that dropped earlier in the uh, few... Actually, it was about July, 4th of July. Then it came out basically introducing you to the studios and the ideas behind the various... Uh, episodes that are going to show us and dave just watched it for the first time so let's get his instant reaction so what what were what was your reaction what's you know what really jumped out at me was fun it's kind of a a technical uh oddity it was just just like we we were talking about whether we were going to play it during the show right and you were like oh well they've got all these subtitles right you know because they're talking to the original creators and it, it wouldn't it wouldn't play well right well, then I was watching it, and I became very hyper aware that there were a lot of subtitles because they were talking to the original creators, which gives me like a feeling of authenticity, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. I thought it might just be anime style kind of thing, you know, and it would be a bunch of Americans doing it. Um, so, like for me, that is encouraging. Like we're not just co-opting somebody's art form and just using it um and so i like that about it um seems like a lot of saber action which is always good um i since they announced this i was all in it seems like a really fun idea and i i i was i was not out and i wasn't in i was just like i mean if what if it was it was like you know it was just you know, I don't know. It was just kind of milked it. Yeah. It just wasn't anything that really tripped my trigger one way or another. Um, having heard the like synopsis of the, of the, um, episodes, I suppose. Um, and seeing some of that artwork in that trailer, I'm really intrigued now. This is going to be something that I'm going to want to watch it might be there might be a couple episodes where i end up going what the hell was that mm-hmm. what did i what did i just watch and that's always the tough thing with shorts right does it ever say how long these are going to be because they're they're dropping all of them at the same time this is not going to be a week by week thing it's everything everything's coming at once no but i can't imagine that it's more than say tw- if it's as long as say a bad patch or a clone wars episode that might be the limit, like 22 minutes. See, but that, and that's the thing that if they're going to do that, then they would have to release it probably week by week because they're calling that an episode of the Clone Wars. Right. So I would think these are probably going to be in the like maybe five to 10, ten minute range or something. Right. Like 10, like two 10 minute episodes, shorts. Maybe so maybe one episode. But like I said, some of the things that they got there, like what was it? The, uh, the twins of the dark side. Um, yeah. There's another one that's talking about a saber smith. Yeah, here, let me tell you. So they have some of the descriptions. So uh, from Studio Colorado, Tatooine Rhapsody, it's a Star Wars rock opera featuring Jabba, Boba Fett, and more. That's either going to be awesome or a big pile of garbage. Anyway, okay. Uh, From Studio Trigger, The Twins, the story of a brother and sister relationship inspired by Luke and Leia, one with one struggling with the dark side. And I think we saw from the clip in there from the pre-production artwork that they may end up dueling. Uh, from Studio Trigger as well, uh, The Elder follows a master and Padawan who encounter an unknown enemy. Uh, from Production IG, The Ninth Jedi tells the story of a time when the Jedi were only legends 
follows the daughter of a Jedi lightsaber smith. Uh, from Saru Toby, which is T-O-B-1. It's about a droid who dreams of becoming a Jedi. So those are some of the ones that don't give you all of them, but those are some of the ideas that they're kind of playing with. And I think what excited me the most is that they're willing to take a lot of the Japanese influences, artwork, and uh, anime backgrounds and ideas, and apply them to Star Wars, which is kind of a weird, you know, you know, coming back around to the beginning because if you know anything about Star Wars, you know how much Akira Kurosawa's movies influenced the heck out of George Lucas. Everything from Jedi to lightsabers, dueling, the, the very robes that they're all wearing, Darth Vader's suit and everything. You know, all of it's inspired by uh, Japanese movie making. And you know, the thing... So, the, so it's coming back around. <laughs> and the, and there has also been some discussion like, is this going to be canon? Is this canon? And should it be canon? Blah, blah, blah. And to me, I'm like, why the hell? First of all, who cares? But on yeah. the other hand, it's like, why the hell? Because, you know, all of all of the Star Wars saga that we've seen has been following really five people, you know, in this entire universe. You know, it's it's been it's been telling the it's it's like genealogy for, you know, your own family and then thinking that that's the only thing that exists on this planet. So why can't these things be, you know, and again, who gives a crap, but it's like, what if they were, you know, it's like, these can still be, it's, it's kind of like you go some pl- you go to a new place and you talk to a local and they tell you a story about a guy who lived down the street one time and did something, you know, it's, that could be these stories, you know? So, Hey, no, I agree with that. Um, my fear, however, I'm going to interrupt you, Dave. My fear is that this, and this is, this is my ignorance towards anime is that it's all going to end up looking like speed racer or what was the other cartoon from the seventies that we all watched? Um, Astro boy or Astro boy or Voltron? Probably Voltron. Um, I'm thinking about the uh, the movie. No, no, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the, uh, the ones that they, they had the Phoenix and they all had, I don't know. Oh, battle. Okay, you're you're talking. That's battle for the, the what you call it, battle beyond the stars, something like that. Anyway, that that's my that's my fear because that's my but that's my ignorance. The stars. That's my ignorance towards anime. You know what I mean? Um, you know what I'll say in in its defense, and this is where uh, me being a parent enters the picture a little bit. Is like we have these collections of like the Pixar animated shorts right you this is like when you'd buy dvds and like within the last year or two it's like that's that being a thing really for me um it's almost all digital now but when we were still buying dvds and blu-rays we would get we got the pixar shorts right bite-sized content that my kids could consume that wasn't crap and it, it's really hard to get them to sit through an entire Pixar movie. Because you know, it's like, oh, it's, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. Oh, I'm tired of watching it after like one or two viewings. This is there's dense. It's a lot to take in. It makes you feel certain ways. I understand that there's like a heavy lift there. So just the fact that this stuff is bite-sized 
is like super appealing to me as a parent because it's like okay cool i can get my kids maybe involved in this and watching this and and maybe it can serve as kind of a gateway for them to learn about more other art forms and and on a tangent talking about bite-sized content that isn't crap popeyes is getting chicken nuggets in the in a couple weeks so <laughs> sorry that was big news today i was going to lead with that on here we, we got on to other things but um, all good all good it was no, a was great gonna... that was a great segue um so two things right quick i'll finish so it's nine episodes nine shorts that they're making and they were said that it's for the first season so i'm getting the sense that you know unless this bombs horrifically which i don't think anybody's expecting it to we will get more Star Wars visions in the future. So how how can it how can it bomb? Because I've paid my how, whatever this subscription. For, am I going to the only way this is going to bomb is if I'm going to like cancel my Disney Plus subscription because they had anime on. The, you know what I mean? It's like they they put it on there and Star Wars people are going to watch it and they may watch it again. They may not. You know I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, no, absolutely. And, and I think what's funny is, uh, I remember about 20 years ago, they used, they actually came out a whole manga, so the comic book, Japanese comic book uh, version of Star Wars, all three Star Wars movies, the original trilogy. And it was funny seeing them drawn in that style, the characters that you knew. And uh, if it's anything like that, I think people are going to like it. It's, yeah, some maybe one may be too cutesy, one may be too silly. That may be more personal, but I think there'll be at least something in there for everybody to kind of like and grab you know towards. and to dave's point you're you're absolutely right i mean there isn't to have something that's going to be like you said in just kind of chunked you know and not here kids you have to sit for two hours you know to you know enjoy star wars you know right. um can kind of yeah you can kind of you know lose your way but i i like this is the first time that it seems like star Wars is also branching out from itself. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's going to be interesting. Like I said, I wasn't really, didn't really give a hoot one way or the other when it was announced. Now I'm like, well, this looks kind of cool. And by the way, they have, so they have like a bunny Jedi or something like that. Wasn't Han Solo originally a bunny? I think so. He was a, he was a lizard man. Oh no. Shoot. He had gills or something. You gotta, we gotta go back and watch Empire some, of Dreams. Somebody, somebody, oh. some character was originally a rabbit, or I, and I've never been high in my life, so I, I mean, <laughs> well, maybe it was a rabbit to start, but I remember in Empire of Dreams they showed concept of Han Solo looking like Greedo. So um, anyway, yeah, yeah. and Chewbacca looked more like a vampire bat. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Zeb. Yeah. Yeah, Basically. he was originally originally Zeb. All right, yeah, well, cool. At some point, it's all going to come back around. Uh, just right quick on another Disney Plus news that kind of came out today. They announced that they're making a new TV show called Behind the Attraction, which is coming at the end of this month, I believe, July 21st, is first episode. So it's supposed to talk about the history, the behind the scenes of some of Disney's most popular rides. I bring it up because the first five episodes already been announced. They're going to be for Jungle Cruise, which, hint, hint, The Rock is producing, and uh, that's this movie coming out. Uh, so Jungle Cruise, The Haunted Mansion, Tower of Terror, Twilight Zone, Tower of Terror, so it's a great ride, Space Mountain, and Star Tours. I'm... So you're going to get to see the behind-the-scenes of Star Tours, if, if you remember it. 
I'm really excited about this. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. Uh, by the way, question. how many how many of those rides have you taken? Uh, I think all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to back up just a second ago. Jackson was a quick-witted smuggler from uh, Cochelle Prime, the most rambunctious of his family's 13 children. He left his home world early age. He was a six-foot rabbit, um, and George Lucas didn't really like him. Um, so I think it was part of a comic book, I believe. Uh, right. So anyway, so there was there was a Star Wars rabbit, yes. So. Well, anyway. now we have another Star Wars rabbit, so... Yep, there you go. And I'm all for different. Like, we've talked about this. It's just like, okay, we've seen the Skywalker stuff and we kind of recovered it three times now. You know, it's it's been done. So let's do something different. Um, yeah. And so this is something different. So, yes, I will wholeheartedly support it. But but the, actually, Fredo, the one that I'm not looking forward to, though, in that getting back to the behind the attraction is uh, the one with It's a Small World. Because I might have to drink through that one, um, man. <laughs> the song will just play and play in the background, see, slowly driving you insane. See, with with Britt and I, when we go to Disney, you know, she goes on the teacups, and I go on. It's a small world. Um, she hates the teacups, and I hate it's a small world. And it's just, I mean, and if you ever get stuck on it's a small world, you just want to, I don't know, jump and drown yourself in the in the river <laughs> so no 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 exactly uh, i don't do teacups I don't have, you do seen the, have you seen the picture of me and harper in the teacups yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no one having a heck of a time though i will say that much <laughs> uh, yeah so we got yeah. uh we got some rogue squadron stuff as well as we were yeah. on hiatus so, yeah, so first things first, they officially announced that uh, Matthew Robinson, who co-wrote and co-directed uh, Ricky Gervais' The Invention of Lying, as well as a number of other stuff, um, he has officially signed on to be the screenwriter for Rogue Squadron. And in and- typical Star Wars fashion, he'll be fired three years in, and then they'll be replaced by Lawrence Kasdan. Anyway, go on. Well, not three years, because the other thing we got confirmed was... December 22nd, 2023. That's the release date for Rogue Squadron. So in about two years, you'll be getting all the trails for Rogue Squadron. So yeah, so they know. And interestingly, they also interviewed uh, Patty Jenkins because, you know, she's uh, they were talking to her about uh, kind of a post-mortem on Wonder Woman. They're talking to her about what's going on with Star Wars. So anyway, here's the relevant quote. And she goes, they asked her, how's development going on Rogue Squadron? Her quote goes, it's going amazing. I had, had been on, a, on it already for six months before it was even announced, so we're pretty deep into it. We're finishing a script, crewing up, and it's all going wonderful. I'm so excited about the story and excited that we're the next chapter of Star Wars, which is such a responsibility and such an opportunity to really start some new things. Take that, really Taika Waititi. <laughs> well, then they also asked her, what's the consulting process like that with the Star Wars brain trust, is the way the Hollywood Reporter puts it. She goes, there's plenty of it. It's an entirely different way of working. I'm on the phone with them all the time and doing Zoom meetings and with everybody involved in Star Wars. I'm fairly free to do the story that we want to do. 
but you really need to know who's done what, who's doing what, where it goes and how it works and what the signs have been done before. It's a whole other way of working that I'm getting to speed on. So in other words, they're working on it. They should have a, uh, a script uh, nailed in pretty soon. They're already working on getting crude people together. We already know they got the screenwriter. So does this take place? Uh, does this take place when? I don't think they've announced. Uh, hold on a sec. I don't think they've announced a period. Rose Croft tell me they're or just after. For some reason, for some reason, I thought this was, and it seems like your internet connection is getting kind of goofy. Um, but for some reason, I thought this was um, like oh. in between Saga and or the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. Am I so, wrong? From, no, no, yeah. So basically, it's saying that uh, the story will introduce a new generation of starfighter pilots as they earn their wings and risk their lives in a boundary pushing. Light speed through a route, put the saga into the future era of the galaxy. Um, I'm looking to see. So it doesn't really say a specific time, but I would imagine it's post Return of the Jedi. Hmm. So okay. she's excited. They got a screenwriter. We got a release date. It's all coming down the pipeline. And so speaking of coming down, this might this might lead of, us lead us into when we talk about the Bad Batch. But do you think we'll see a Harris and Dula? I don't see why. Oh, you mean in live, live action? action? Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know. Okay. Keep on well, going. They, yeah, they seem comfortable in bringing uh, you know, characters from the animated world now. So, uh, The other interview that kind of came out is uh, uh, Leslie Headland, who is the showrunner for The Acolyte, was actually interviewed about what's going on with her show. And obviously, she was like, I cannot tell you anything. The Lucasfilm snipers will take me out if I do. But then they started asking to her about just simply her background and her history with Star Wars. And she says, you know, what I can say is the reason they did appeal to me personally is that I was 18 when The Phantom Menace came out, came out and I was a very, very big Star Wars fan. And I remain a big Star Wars fan. But at that particular time, I was just kind of all coincided where I was discovering who I was. I was discovering who else I was sexually, artistically, what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, basically, she just she loves the Phantom Menace, and it's the reason she's loving to take on the Acolyte, which that takes place during the, high, the end of the High Republic period. And they did also ask her about being the first queer woman in charge of a Star Wars production, to which she says, I've been asked a lot. It's an interesting question, actually. A lot of people have asked me that, and I've been kind of given different answers to it. But when you phrase it that way, I do wonder why people are asking me that. Like, why aren't they asking Disney that question? When people say, do you feel responsibility? What are you going to do about it now that you've been gifted this position? You know, I feel grateful for it. The pressure comes with creating anything, let alone something as important as Star Wars. But you're right. There's this kind of vibe of be careful. Like, they hired me. You know, I wonder if we should be asking the artists that question or asking the studios and corporations those questions and the networks those questions. You know, the... You know, the- the interesting thing I heard, uh, I think it was on Star Wars Underworld podcast, they played some of her interview. Mm-hmm. And the other interesting part of this is the way she's develop- she's putting together her writing room. That it's, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, she's gay, um, but she's hiring straight people and also hiring people who have never seen Star Wars. 
which I find, which I find it's almost, it's almost like the, you know, Abraham Lincoln, you know, uh, team of rivals type of a thing. And when you get that many perspectives in a writing room, especially when you have the one person in the room that's going, that doesn't know anything about star Wars and they're going to be the person saying that makes no sense whatsoever. You know, if, whatever the story beat is, they're going to say that makes no sense. And then somebody's going to say, well, you know, on Wikipedia, it says blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but what about the person who comes to the theater and you're trying to sell them a, you know, a, you know, this bill of goods, you know, I think that's what makes me excited is hearing how that writing room is being developed. She even mentions that George Lucas didn't write this going like, well, in Star Wars, this is how you did it. He just went, well, I can do this and this is what I want to do. So we're going to do this. You know, there was no preset concept of what a Star Wars movie was because none existed. She does also mention that she thinks that John Favreau did it perfectly with the Mandalorian because she goes, by the second scene, if you're a Clone Wars fan, you're geeking out because you get a payoff. If you're not a Star Wars fan who's never seen Clone Wars, it flies by you, but it doesn't take anything away from you. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm tempted to check out her other work based on this interview. Mm-hmm. Because it sounds like she just like gets it. Gets it. Yeah. Yeah. And like that's cool. You know, like to, to know that somebody like that is in charge of a project like this uh is really cool. Um Acolyte's a series, correct? <laughs> yeah. Series. yeah. So it's like you can you can't help but feel great about the direction of Star Wars television right now. Um there's so many exciting projects that are out there in development. Um, we're going to have to wait longer for season three of the Mandalorian than we want to wait. Um, but overall, like the direction of the TV right now, just, it's like really cool. Um, the movie side of things, I'm a little concerned because the Patty Jenkins movie. Yeah. We, we thought for some time it was the next film on deck. Um, and she said that they were six months in prior to the announcement and now seven months into this, into 2021, they don't have a complete script yet. And I, again, I want them to get the script right. Um, but you know, that's just like, wow, they're moving glacially right now. And we're not going to get another star Wars movie until 2023. And that's just, I can't help but be a little disappointed, but again, we we've all echoed the the sentiment of well, get it right, take your time, don't rush through it, and if they've learned that lesson, um, and I'm not going to point any fingers at any other movies in the canon, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, that's that's I guess that's ultimately a positive. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think, I mean, and, and she seen me. She's cognizant of the pressure that's on her making a Star Wars show. I mean, so far, who, who are you talking? Who are you talking about? Uh, let, let, well, Patty Jenkins to a certain degree, but but I'm primarily referring to Leslie Headland here. I mean, Mandalorian has been a tremendous success. We just talked about how many nominations they got for Emmys. So uh, I'm going to interrupt you because I'm going to interrupt you because you said something very important there. Because you said you know the pressure she she understands that she's under doing a star Wars series. There's another bit of pressure that Patty Jenkins isn't having to deal with. And that's when, with Leslie, um, Headland being 
and they make the point out to be, you know, the first queer, you know, woman to make a star. And so automatically there becomes that it's like, is there going to be representation? Is there going to be enough representation? Is there going to be too much representation? You know, Patty Jenkins gets to make the, gets to make a, you know, Top Gun and Star Wars. And there's a lot more of a, a social, um, social implications that is coming down on Leslie Headland's shoulders already. And, you know, and I, I, I want to see, I want to see representation in star Wars. I do. And I think it's high time, but I can just, uh, right now it's just the, the, the cynic in me is going, we're going to be listening to people yelling on all sides of this issue that it's not enough too much, you know, Dave, you raised your hand. <laughs> yes, I did. I loved her answer. <laughs> but but you know what I mean? And I don't I didn't mean to I didn't mean to sound like a monkey. There, you know, no, but no, it's no, you're you're making the no, point, which is the no. fan base, the fan base is gonna do this, right? We all understand this. There's certain parts of the fan base who are gonna be like, Ugh, representation, but what about the white man? Right. So it's like you it's okay to have the conversation. <laughs> it's okay to have the conversation and acknowledge that it's probably going to be something that's going to be on social media that we're all going to have to deal with. Right. I loved her response, which was turn it around on the company. And it's like, it shouldn't be all on her. The pressure shouldn't be all on her uh, to make sure that her series is properly representative of enough diverse groups of people. What about Favreau? What about Filoni? You know, put it on them. Are they doing a good job with it? Are they doing a good enough job? And again, I can't sit here and tell you whether they are or whether they aren't, but that's the conversation that should be had. And 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 I agree with her saying, you know, look, take it up with Disney, right? You should ask them, like, why hasn't a queer person been in charge of a show up until this point? And I love it. I couldn't love that response more because honestly, that is how I would handle it as well. And that's how I would handle things on this show too. It's like, okay, yeah, let's, let's talk about Filoni. Let's talk about the people that went ahead of her and whether they did an adequate enough job. And we know there are examples of them not doing an adequate enough job, not pointing fingers at anybody in particular with that comment to be clear, but there are movies and projects in the canon where it's a bunch of white dudes. Well, and 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 that's 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 the thing is that actually I my my mind is uh, it, because this is going to be you know headed up by you know somebody that this is this is their life, so that their art is going to represent their life, so it's going to be written very naturally and almost matter of factly. Whereas if it was a straight white cis dude, he'd be like, and you know, like in the credits, it'd be like, and Dave starring the gay Jedi, you know, that's, you know what I mean? It's, um, so I think this is going, this has the potential of just being, you know, yeah, it's just going to be a natural star Wars story. Um, well, and we should recognize that ultimately, and she admits it, 
uh, yeah, let me just pull that quote real quick because I was just reading it. She recognizes that ultimately the dollar, she says, quote, unquote, the dollar is king. If her show's not good enough, it's not, it's not received well, if it doesn't hit with uh, the audiences, it doesn't matter whether she hit the representation bullseye, it's not going to continue. It's, it will, Disney will quietly go, thank you so much, we're going to move in a different direction. Uh, so that's some of that pressure that she takes on herself is that she has to make a good show, a show that people connect with, appreciate, enjoy. And she's also very cognizant that she's dealing with two different audiences. One audience is the Star Wars fan that seen, like her, grew up with Star Wars, saw the prequels in the movie theaters, loved everything in Clone Wars and Rebels, has the action figures, has the costumes, all that stuff. And then there's the audience of people who maybe they saw the original trilogy, maybe they saw the, the prequels or the sequels, but that's it. They're not invested or not in the uh, in the system or they're not doing, you know, they're not into Star Wars that way. And she has to make something that will appeal to both of these different uh, populations in a way that people can come together and appreciate and enjoy her show. So that's where some of that pressure is coming from. And it's interesting because you're right. I mean, one of the things that Lucasfilm has been more modern or more accepting or more recognizing is i mean we got deborah chow she's the showrunner for obi-wan kenobi we got patty jenkins directing rogue squadron we got leslie headland making the acolyte so they're recognizing that they have been you know kind of short with who gets to take the box of star wars toys and make a make you know play with them so they're being cognizant of we need to do better for this and Aaron goes on. No, I, no, I, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll save that because I could take this into like a thirty-minute, you know, you know, longer conversation about that. Because, yeah. um, but anyway, no, I, and not that I disagreed with anything you said. It was just I found it. I, I guess what I will say is I find it interesting that we talk about Star Wars that way, you know. But we all have to remember that for forever, the only person who, I mean, George yeah. Lucas was the band. Mm -hmm. so now we're talking about it's like who gets to write Beatles songs you know what I mean it's like the Beatles were you know Paul and John and George and Ringo and you know so now there's starting to be and that's that's I just find this I just find this very interesting um and it goes back to my my convert you know my my point about when you do release art does it cease to become the artist's property and become the public's property. You know, you know, you know what I mean? Um, but no, I, I'm totally, I'm just, that, that, that's total tangent. I'm, I'm totally down with you because it's like, and that's what I love about visions. That's what I love about what's going on. Like I said, having Patty Jenkins and Deborah Chow and Leslie Headland is that we're hopefully going to shut up the people that Dave was talking about, you know, that, that are going to be, I mean, they're still going to be yelling at the trees, you know, but the fact that we're having, you know, when these women, when they were girls, they were playing with their Star Wars toys, just like any of us were, you know, and they were transfixed. But we've also heard people on this show before say they didn't see themselves in Star Wars and now they're going to be able to see themselves in Star Wars. And I think that's awesome. And that's the other thing is that there's a whole bunch of you know fan base who are japanese that are now going to see their sensibilities in star wars you know and yeah. so i right on yeah exactly 
I mean, this is all positive stuff. Um, you know, Aaron, you and I haven't talked about, um, we both had sisters who had the figures, you know, the action figures, same as us. Yeah. We were, we're playing together. We were playing Star Wars together. And it was like more socially acceptable or whatever for boys to do it. And then eventually it, we could know, play, we could play like, with dolls if they were, you know, only four inches yeah, tall, <laughs> you know, the whole thing. And it's just all these gender constructs that we, that we put all this pressure on, on, on our kids. And it's like, I made a conscious effort not to do that with my kids. It's like, you know, do whatever the, the heck makes you happy for Pete's sake, you know? And, um, I thought you we brought up an interesting point, which is just the representation side of it. It's like, I didn't see myself in star Wars for a number of years. And it's like George. Okay. He was the creator. He was the Beatles or whatever, but it's like, he handed his movies off. <laughs> he handed his movie to Irvin Kirstner and Richard Marquand. And so it's like, he had the opportunity in that moment to hand his movie over to a woman and didn't do it. On the other hand, Princess Leia is a badass and like an all-time great character. Um, yeah, but, you but know she what? was the only one. But you know, so it's you like, know what? You, you know, know what he ended up? What he ended up doing though is he handed over his whole damn company to Kathleen Kennedy. So yeah, I mean, no, so I mean, too. it's a mixed bag. It's like that's the only way to look at it. It's like okay, so there's some good, there's some bad. And, you know, yeah, I mean, and of course, you look back in the 80s, it's like, okay, just real quick, I'll give you 30 seconds, name uh, some female directors in the 80s, go. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know, not to say that they Hollywood weren't there. I'm, right there. I'm yeah. saying that was that was that was an yeah. issue. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a sausage fest. So, um, Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, this, everybody remembers this next yeah. story. This next story, Fredo, you're going to I'm going to be I'll probably surprise you by my reaction. Okay, okay. So I'll just go right quick to the last story we got. So the National Air and Space Museum welcomes a ex, uh, Poe Dameron's uh, X-Wing. So I think it's dumb. There, so it's Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum, which is one of the best museums in the world. Agreed. Go there if you get a chance. Uh, will display an X-Wing starfighter in the newly renovated building on the National Mall, National Mall starting late next year. The full-size vehicle with a wingspan of 37 feet appeared in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. So it's the orange one. It's not the black one from uh, uh, Force Awakens and Last Jedi because I got blown up. And it's a long-term loan from Lucasfilm. <laughs> it will it's even, it's even, that makes it even dumber. <laughs> it will undergo conservation in the restoration hangar. When work will be visible to the public when it reopens. Center reopens May 5th. May 5th so day after May the 4th next year. So if they uh, want, if they want to put this in the American History Museum where they got the Muppets and stuff like that, I'm all for they it. They got the Batmobile. They got Bat 1989's Batmobile. In awesome, there. perfect. But to put it in the Air and Space Museum, I think is dumb. Now I went and saw the Magic of the Myth. You know, if they want to have this like you know traveling you know exhibit like they did with Magic of the Myth, and they put it that in the Air and Space Museum where you saw a bunch of Star Wars stuff, I went there. I've got the posters for it. But to have a permanent display of an X-wing. Somebody's going to have to be explained. Some kids going to go. <gasps> X wings are real. It's like no, they're not. You know. So oh well, that's not. So is the did we really land on the moon? I mean, there's just so many things that just from an educator standpoint, it's like no, I put the X wing somewhere else other than 
in you know the air and space museum sorry yeah, don't don't yeah. at me on twitter but i mean there's just a there's so many places they could have put that and you i'm not lying you know there are going to be people who are like okay uh, if you got little kids well i'm not even going to say it right now okay but anyway it's like again it's like so you see the x-wing they go that was real no that's not real well then is so what do you mean we landed on the moon and that thing you know they're, they're they see these movies of an x-wing flying around that makes a lot more sense than this piece of garbage that actually landed on the moon and returned home. I just, as like, I just think it's a bad, bad choice and it's not star Wars fault. It's the Smithsonian's fault, but they just want people to come to their museum. So I get it. All right. I'll quit yelling at the clouds. So, well, we clearly faked the moon landing. That's the takeaway here, right? Uh, that was Stanley Kubrick in a set out in the, the valley. Yeah. <laughs> I am not too far <laughs> off, am I? No, this, no, this no, is this no, is no, this not. is not the dogs sleeping is with not. cats. This is a this is actually could actually happen. People are uh, okay. So I am going to say it right now. It's like when you find out about the tooth fairy, it starts make you questioning everything all the way up to Jesus. So you know, it's like as a little kid. I mean, that that kind of becomes. So if you see the X wing there, you're like, oh, really? No, well then, what about all this other stuff? You know, it's just anyway. I I just ruined the podcast for everybody. I got I got, I got nothing to add to any of that. It's it's hilarious. You have a, you have a good point, but I got I got nothing to add. No, no, and I think I mean realistically, it's there has to be some sort of separation. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's you're right. If it was if it's going to be in any museum. Putting it in the American History Museum makes the most sense. I mean, sense. is it going to be next tour to, you know, Marty's hoverboard? The DeLorean? Are we going to put the DeLorean in there too? You know, that's, that's, again, I no. move it what across, move it across the mall to the American History Museum. Then I'll, I'll quit yelling at the clouds. So, no, what I would say is what I would love for, because they do have at the Air and Space Museum, they have a whole sequence of ships named Enterprise. And they, they do have a Star Trek Enterprise, I think. Uh, but it's a model. It's a whole series of models, kind of like the one that they had in one of the. It's only a model. Stuff. Can you put? Can you it's put the? Model. Can you put the Monty Python clip model. right in there, so, Dave, when he says that? Look, my liege. Camelot, Camelot, Camelot. It's only a model. <laughs> Maybe what I would love for the Air Space Museum to do is to have a whole wing dedicated to inspired by space right aerospace travel and put that in there along with the enterprise along with rockets from you know from the earth to the moon all the other stuff so kind of do the idea of you know this is what has inspired and inspires next generations you know because there's a lot of fighter pilots who've always said i want an x-wing i mean yeah well i want a lightsaber and that ain't happening right now either so, well, you know, because I, I knew I knew a cop who said he wished he could have his, you know, his secondary weapon be a lightsaber. And that ain't that ain't happening. So you need a lot more training for the lightsaber. Anyway. Anyway. But yeah, no. Uh, so now, I mean, I can t- I totally get where you're coming from. It's I'm just I'm, I'm just kind of like, you know, it doesn't need to, you know, if it doesn't need to be there, it's all right. But at the same time, I, I can kind of separate the thoughts in my head, even though I recognize that many in America won't just because it's america yeah so 
All right. So I'm sorry I yelled at the clouds there. But uh, so we're, we're running long on <clears throat> running long on time. I'm getting all choked up. Um, but we're just going to do a quick little rapid fire. I'm not going to give Dave long to talk about this because Fredo and I haven't seen it and I don't want him to spoil it. But Dave, you saw Black Widow. Oh, yes. Yes. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this with saying, so it took me three or four years before I saw The Hangover. Because a fellow teacher said it was the funniest movie since Animal House. And I can't buy that sort of hyperbole. I was like, you got to be kidding me. The funniest movie since Animal House. And I'm starting to list off all the movies. And so I saw, I've seen clips or uh, reviews that I've, and I've sent it to you guys where it says, this is the best standalone Marvel movie. Should, Should I be worried? Is this, is this, am I, you know, is, is it actually the, did you think the best standalone Marvel movie? No. Uh, I think I would say mileage varies. And I think like the point with, with most of these films at this point, like if you ask somebody to say, rank all your Marvel movies, right? This is a fun exercise that we do on the internet. You know, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, I really want to rank my, uh, you know, 25 movies or whatever. Um, when you look at I think these somebody lists, has a blog on their top 50 video games, don't they? Yes. <laughs> when you look at the lists, right? Okay. Yeah, I, I enjoy doing it. You know, I'm making fun of myself. Um, when you look at people's lists, they vary wildly from person to person to person to person. And this is so different, right? Everybody reacts to different emotional cues in particular. That's the thing that I think about it. We all bring our own personal experiences into it. So it's like, from that perspective alone, it's like, eh, you know, you're, you're either going to, it probably isn't necessarily that. I can't say that the, the level of quality is any higher than any of the other Marvel films. All right, so let me, point. let me ask you some just very generic questions. Did you like it? Sure. Yeah, I liked it just fine. Though I got to say, like, I'm getting to a point with Marvel where I'm almost at where I am with most television shows where I'm just like, it's a little formulaic. Yeah. It's just like, we're repeating ourselves and it just seems like the same things are happening. And I know where you're trying to take me and you're stringing me along. And I guess it's uh, still entertaining, but you know, we're kind of going through the motions. So, um, let me ask you another one. Um, are there any Holy crap moments? Mm, I don't know. It's hard to define that. I'd say there are some moments of awe that are kind of fun. Oh, Momo's like, oh, Momo's like, oh. No, like, oh, oh. <laughs> the back of the throat, back of the throat, oh. Yeah, like, oh, <laughs> not, oh. oh. Like, surprise. <laughs> Rather than, oh. <laughs> no puppies is yeah. what you're saying. No, no um, puppies, yeah. Um, well, there actually are a couple of moments of awe. And I think like that's why people are gravitating to this movie in particular is because it's a little more emotional than some of the other movies. And what I'll say... Well, of course, you're the, also going into this movie knowing that... Okay, spoiler alert, kids. But you're going into this movie knowing that, you know, Black Widow dies. Yeah. You know, so that's that's kind of a, you know... Kind that, of a yeah. Before that. They dropped. They dropped. Uh, in my opinion, they dropped a ball uh, in terms of trying to connect this movie to what comes afterwards. 
Um, I'll leave it at that. But uh, you can connect your own dots and understand, like, you know what what is going to eventually happen. Um, and so it's like, yes, it's still an emotional movie. And there's a interesting family dynamic in this movie that you don't necessarily expect, though they, they show a lot of that in the trailers where they're like sitting around the table and they're all talking. Yeah. yeah so like, um, it's Marvel. It's got to have a family element. Into it's, it. it's, you know, it's jocular in that, in those scenes in the trailer, but it goes a little, it runs a little deeper than that. So, um, it's an emotional movie. It's, I, you know, I like it. I like it. Um, but again, a link, I'm kind of like, post credit scene yep okay stick around okay um, um that's all i'll say about that all right um but you know going back to like what i really would want to say is like i'll circle back to what we were just talking about a little while ago which is like representation this movie should have been made it should have been made seven years ago Black Widow is kind of the um, just kind of the forgotten character for the most part. Yeah, yeah, and it it just like that they introduced her as this you know you know sexy bombshell type uh, you know femme fatale, and it was just like she was you know there was no depth of character there at all. Uh, that's how she was introduced on film. And so they kind of make fun of that a little bit in this movie, which is good. But it took us so long to get to this point. Yeah. And I think like, you know, we were talking about where, you know, Star Wars is maybe a little slow in some respects, like with the representation side of things. And again, Marvel is not immune to that because like, this is the thing that goes through your head as you're watching this movie. It's like, why, why couldn't this movie come out? So this is, it's set directly after Civil War. Okay, that's not really a spoiler because I think a lot of people yeah, kind been of knew. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people knew the general time range, right? Well, it's right after Civil War. I mean, right after. So it's like the movie could have come out when you know, right after Civil War. It really could have. They would have lost. Should've. Yeah, and they wouldn't have lost anything. And so it's like, why didn't you? And. They probably don't have a good answer for that. So, like, that's frustrating. Um, but again, I wouldn't go in thinking it's the greatest standalone Marvel. Sounds film like ever. sounds like you're putting it kind of uh, midfield. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay, that's my initial impression. Mid to lower. I think I think Britt and I want to go see it this weekend. So, makes, uh, makes me wonder. It's the kind of movie that makes me wonder if uh, people wouldn't have such a good. I mean, it's probably. I mean. I'm, you said that it's good, so I'm trusting mm-hmm. that. But also, just because it's the first movie that everybody's turning out to theaters and droves. Like, it's right. it's like, oh, my God, we actually get to go back to a movie theater, go sit with other people, you know, and get popcorn and drinks and, you know, actually enjoy some spectacle, which, you know, has been denied but, to us. And to, to Disney's credit, they also have the option of Disney Plus for those who can't don't want to whatever i mean that's right that was pretty smart on their part that's pretty how smart. we did it yeah it's yeah. pretty smart yeah all right so i'm, I'm sorry i'm going to jump over because like i said we're uh let's let's stick with marvel though and let's just talk generically about loki um and now because i really had no expectations going in with loki 
Um, just so far, we've got one more episode to go, but so far is this living up to, um, are you, are you guys digging it? Are you, is it living up to what you were expecting or are you disappointed in any ways? Um, no, I liked it. I mean, I mean, I don't know that I had any expectations. I knew that I was looking forward to it after the quality of both WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. So I was like, okay, let me see. See, that's the thing. Marvel does job. All the properties are good enough that they make you go, well, I'm willing to sign on for the next ride. So this was the next ride. Saw something kind really of good. Saw something kind of interesting. Somebody say is apparently it's a Reddit um, um, theory that each episode is based on an infinity infinity stone. Because you might have to do some Googling for that article. Um, but it's because six episodes, each one has to do with a different infinity stone. Anyway, keep going, Fredo. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, and I really, really enjoyed last week's episode when, see, it does think it, it speaks to the strength of the, and the quality of the writers that they recognize their characters. Like you couldn't do this kind of show with Falcon and Winter Soldier. Sorry. You know, those characters couldn't play in this field. So I haven't, but I haven't Loki who is a trickster, who is mischievous, who is known for being duplicitous. This, this has worked to a T for this And character. Alligator Loki needs to be get an <laughs> Emmy next year. That's a New Orleans little guy, Loki. That's a New Orleans Loki variant. You mean croaky? Croaky. <laughs> that whole sequence of President Loki was just beautiful. So Dave, how about you? What, I mean, so are you digging Loki so far? Yeah, I, um, you know, it. I don't know. I'm, I'm mixed on it. I guess like where I was wowed by WandaVision for the most part. Um, I'd say Loki is right around what I would expect. Um, I like it's kind of we understand what we're in for at this point where it's like, you know, it's a mystery box. OK, we're going to open the mystery box and look at oh. There's another mystery box inside of the mystery box and then open the mystery box and there's another mystery box inside of that mystery box. So it's like, I get it. I, I'm, it. I'm starting to wonder, and this is making me kind of worried about the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Is it better to be episodic or a six episode arc? You know what I mean? Because Loki is this six episode arc and it's kind of like in episodes three and four, you're just kind of like, can we, can we get somewhere? This is just, it's just Aaron talking, just kind of spitballing here. Whereas, you know, the Mandalorian, yeah, it has an overall arc, but it's very episodic where it's like you have a start, middle and end and you feel like you have some resolution at the end. Whereas at the end of each Loki episode, I don't feel like there's any resolution at all nor am i really excited to see what happens next wandavision was a little bit more episodic mm. i don't know dave what do you think yeah i i think that would be fair i mean like the thing about this show that they kind of you think about the concept right okay so is it, we always talk about the meaning of titles and so maybe sometimes we get a little too inside our own heads when we're trying to analyze this stuff, but it's like Loki, right? And so like, they're going to give you Loki and all that that entails. And so like when we got a million Lokis, it was like sort of perfect, right? Within that, within that context. But then also like Loki's the trickster. So they're going to trick us. 
we're going to continually get the rug pulled out from under us and not understand where we're actually headed because they the characters don't know how are we even going to understand and so I again I sort of I understand and appreciate what they're trying to do but also like am I a big fan of that particular storytelling I'm not sure that I am I think what it does it creates a uh, almost kind of like a poker you got to show your cards moment and if it lands if it sticks you go well well done everything worked but if it doesn't it really mm. undercuts everything that came before it even if you enjoyed it so that's kind of the trick with the mystery box uh, storytelling model is at some point you have to have an answer for all these questions you put down. And if your answer is not more than just, well, yeah, she was his, his granddaughter all along, you may have, you may have <laughs> negative reactions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Now, I, like I said, we're, we're enjoying it. Um, but however, it's a, a kind of an interesting thing that, we never ever missed an episode of the Mandalorian or WandaVision. But with Loki, we found ourselves at the grocery store going, crap, we forgot to watch Loki tonight. Oh, we'll just watch it tomorrow. You know, uh, and I, now part part of that I think is that, you know, now that people are getting vaccinated, people are starting to get their, you know, Disney shifted things to Wednesday when that's when the new stuff goes out because people are actually going out on the weekends now. You know, whereas during the pandemic, it was like Mandalorian and WandaVision were stuff we had to look forward to. You know, that was that was the the party at the end of the week. Um, but however, you know, it is kind of interesting where it was just like, oh, yeah, OK, well, I'll, I'll catch it in a day or so. So that tells me that I'm enjoying it fine, but it's not at the top of my list. That's, you know, just a gut reaction. So um, now let's just quickly wrap it up this is the only thing i want to ask about the bad batch um did you giggle when you saw cad bane because i did <laughs> i i i giggled when he i was like oh well, good you know i was excited or or hera yeah I, I, this last proper. episode was kind of interesting it was like I, a whole I, lot of hera and I, 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 I clapped like a baby seal when she first appeared. I no, actually, I clapped when I saw Chopper. Sorry, that was yeah. that, that made that made me go, oh yay, Chopper! But um, Chopper and Hera, which that's kind of funny because with Rebels at first I couldn't stand Chopper, and now I I have it's like one of the only you know it's the only Rebels action figure I have is Chopper over here because I ended up loving Chopper as a as a character. Um, but anyway, no, that was kind of an interesting last episode where it was, you know, all Syndulla all the time. That was an interesting choice. I, th I think there's two things going on with that. It's like, well, I think they're setting it up to where she's going to rendezvous with the Bad Batch in the next episode. And then it's going to back go back to being a Bad Batch show. Uh, but for the week, you're right. It was the Hera. The oh, Hera a, it was show. a palate cleanser, right? I mean, they've <laughs> yeah. they've, they've got you know, however it's what 16 episodes, so you can have one of those where it's like, you know, we're gonna have our friend come up and sing a song right now. You know, it's like doesn't have to be the band. So, you know, it's all right. The other thing that I thought was interesting as a storytelling device was the beginning of the show. We saw. Um, um, I, our young friend, um, Dune, 
uh, have a really, really bad experience with the clones, which informs who he becomes right. later in life and why he has a prejudice against the clones later on. And you see the exact opposite here with Hera. And it's actually with the same group of clones, actually. You know, they're still involved, you know? And so it's like really sort of interesting on that level to see how um, our experiences can kind of color who we ultimately become later in life. So so now that we know that Omega is Boba Fett's sister, who Fennec Shand has been trying to help, are we going to see Omega in Book of Boba Fett? It's possible. It's very possible. Would we see a young Boba Fett in Bad Batch? Well, that's that's, that's always likelier. That's always been kind of. I I think that's a possibility. Um, you know, I've that's been my my bet from the get go. But now I'm saying, you know, okay, so you don't just drop that tidbit and let it just sit you know she is you know boba fett was alpha you know omega is omega they're both you know direct clones of Django. so that you just don't that that isn't something like oh we need to fill in 10 more seconds of the show let's just okay have him say this so that's going to come back to pay off somewhere probably i mean it's really coincidental if it didn't it could be both places as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I would be okay with that too. <laughs> um, I like Omega as a character. Uh, you know, it had a lot of potential to just be like, okay. <laughs> well, what's interesting. There's so many kind of brooding, dark characters throughout Star Wars that, you know, whenever you have somebody who is genuinely happy and enjoys, even something like Ahsoka early on, Ahsoka, Versus later on, Ahsoka, Ahsoka develops kind of a bit of emotional armor to protect herself. But, you know, just have somebody who's just that open and helpful and everything is uh, it, it's a bit of fresh air. In a show that's meant to be taking place during darkest time, in the shadows, everybody's kind of grizzled and beat down by the war. So. I think the it, most interesting thing about this series so far is just seeing how the Empire is forming. Yeah, we've gotten that. We were promised that sort of within the the concept of the show, and we've been getting some of that. Specifically, we're seeing some how the different worlds are sort of adapting to imperial control, and and what are some of the political machinations that go on behind the scene and everything. And yeah. I, I like that. I like cool. that stuff. It's been pretty good. I. Yeah, it's still kind of, it's a little slow, a little slow, a little. Well, they got 16 um, episodes, so they can, they can, you know, kind of take their time a little bit more. I would agree. I was just thinking that it's like, all right, we've seen the last two episodes. We've seen a separatist, you know, planet, like get the, get the wind taken out of their sails, if you will. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all right, if they do that a third time, then it is going to be like, okay, get over it. Let's go. You know, I think so. I think, I think the thing about Filoni is he's generally very deliberate. We know this. Um, one thing is that he's often, not always, but he's often deliberate in a way that leads somewhere. So there, there's probably a, a payoff that he has in mind for showing these scenarios over and over and, and reinforcing those points over and over again. 
Um, but it'll be interesting to see what that ultimately is. All right. Well, there's our, there is our, uh, alert. The, the rebels are attacking. So, um, that has been a fun episode. Just kind of BSing about all the stuff that's been going on. So, uh, I've missed this the last couple of weeks. Nice to hang and talk with you guys again. So, um, well, all right. Well, then we'll call it good for this evening. Thanks for sticking with us through a long episode. Um, we'll go back to the more finely tailored ones now that we're we're done taking a sabbatical. Um, but as always, uh, let your friends know where they can find us. Pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast, you can get us. Hit us up on Twitter, on Facebook. You know, talk to us about Star Wars during the day. You know, we like being uh, diverted from those things. Until then, we will say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? I didn't get a hoot out of that guy. Watch your Alright, well you guys have a great week and we'll see you later. Matanki.